What I love most about Mi Gente is our community and how important it is to take care of our own. Hey, it's Honey and Carolina. On our podcast, Life in Spanglish, we talk about how important being there for your loved ones is. Pero también sobre lo importante que es tener a alguien dispuesto a apoyarte cuando lo necesites, como lo hace State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com. If you're anything like me, you're booked and busy. From family duties and work responsibilities to catching up on your favorite shows and podcasts. Yes, like Wrestling with Freddie, with me, Freddie Prinz Jr. With all the responsibilities we have, it's always nice to have someone in your corner. That's why State Farm is there for you with your auto and home insurance needs, helping you protect the things you love and helping you save money. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. State Farm. Proud sponsor of the Michael Tura Podcast Network. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. Seven years ago, I was sent to prison for something that I did not do. Overnight, I lost my wife. I lost my liberty. And most importantly, I lost my kids. Seven years is a very long time for a child not to have any contact with a parent. They've lived longer without you than with. Your children, even spending an hour with that man, makes me feel sick. His children? No, they are not his kids. Every murder case I've ever worked on, there are inconvenient bits of evidence. Do you still think I killed her? On balance, I do, yes. But there are some gaps, and I intend to find out the truth. I didn't spend seven years campaigning to get you out so that you can chase shadows. I've had seven years of my life stolen, and now I want justice. Hi, Luke here from the Custard TV podcast. This is a bit of a special one for me. Um, Innocent is the brand new four-part crime drama currently airing over four nights on ITV, written by Chris Lang and Matthew Aldridge, starring Lee Ingleby and Hermione Norris. And earlier on this week, before Innocent went out, I was able to chat with director Richard Clark about the struggles and the pleasures of bringing something like Innocent to life. And we started by talking about how I feel that sometimes when I visit sets, it's not all action. There's a lot of it is just standing around waiting for things to happen. He had a different take on that. When you're the director, you're at the eye of the storm. And I tell you what, time goes so slowly when I'm shooting. I mean, you know, I do a day and it feels like a week. Because uh, every, almost every second, you're concentrating, trying to having to make a decision mm. on, you know, on whether to do another shot, whether you need a better performance, whether you've got time for the scene, or you know, and you're constantly every minute you're doing it. So, in the eye on the storm, it's really frantic, uh, and there's absolutely no sitting around at all. What was the balance, do you think, between sort of shooting it and you know, it working on it? to what's coming on the screen and just dis- discussions and chats with people. Let's say uh, Innocent, for instance, that's four episodes of one hour. I, I will spend, we'll do an eight weeks of prep before we shoot for that. And before we even start prep, if, they've, if, if the production have got their act together, the director's probably brought in a little bit earlier. So you're already sort of working on the scripts and stuff. Um, usually what you find is the first script, the first episode is, has had several drafts and is in good shape and the project's being greenlit. So all through those sort of eight to ten weeks, there'll be disc- ongoing discussions about the script. You're starting to put casting in place. 
locations is one of the big key things that that people think don't really know about. Locations are are, are crucial. They uh, dramatically affect your shooting schedule. And in the case of Innocent, it was a very complex one because the decision had been made to shoot in Ireland, but the story was set on the south coast of England. So uh, the, one of the first things I've got to do is is kind of weave the two worlds together. But you could almost say um, it's like three shows in one. You've got the detective side, you've got the whodunit side, you've got the, the family sort of being stripped tri- apart. Did that appeal to you when you read it, that you, al- you almost had several shows and making them gel and stick together? And did that appeal that, that you could do more than just the, the whodunit and more than just the family show? It was a bit of everything. It felt quite original to me. It wasn't just a police procedural show, so that felt refreshing and it had an emotional power. For, for me, it, it was two shows. One was a domestic drama about about uh, two families battling over over the children, uh, and then the second was the sort of police procedural who done it. But I, I guess I was ner- slightly nervous at the start about actually how do we how do we weave these two together make sure that we're emotionally invested with the police uh, uh, as well as the family because there's so much uh, emotional power in the, uh, in the sort of family conflict. We spent a lot of time discussing to make sure they, they felt uh, uh, interwoven um, and, it, and it felt like one show. And, and also what was quite good though is you're, you're learning information about different characters from other different characters. So you there are some times when the, you're withholding information from the audience uh, and you're only finding out when characters found out. At other times, you're ahead of the audience. And I think the writers did a very good job of building that and playing with the audience in that way. In terms of um, working on something like this where you've done all four, is yeah. that more exciting than just coming into something yeah. for two episodes and, and leaving again? Yes, it, you know, without a doubt, it is. If you're if you're the lead, what's called the lead director, if you're setting up the show, then you are in charge of setting up the whole tone of the piece, the feel of the piece. You're bringing in, you know, uh, largely you're bringing in your team, whether it's the sort of DOP or the editor. It's your vision for the piece that is, is is then being followed by subsequent directors. Creatively, it's a in some ways a different a different job, and it's it is a more it, it is a more interesting job. It can be quite tricky working out what the tone of the uh, of the piece is. There are any number of shows that have sort of haven't quite found the tone, you know, in terms of when they're setting it up and and, and have struggled to work out quite what it is. That that often can affect the back end and the composing, for instance. Mm. But setting up shows and working out the tone and getting making sure everybody is on board and understands what we're all talking about uh, and speaks the same language often. It's it's not a not an easy process. You find that all the main parties come up the come at the job from from very different backgrounds and different experiences, and everybody has slightly different presumptions by what they mean by fast paced or I want it to look filmic or you know there's a whole load of language. A director in film will tend to have more authority, more power than possibly a director in TV, although the job is is possibly very similar a lot of the time. TV has, has tended to be seen as a writer's medium, so writers tend to have uh, uh, quite a lot of power, possibly more power than sometimes they do on film. Uh, so, but it, every job is different. It depends whether you're a director doing a block of a, a series or whether you're the sole director directing all four parts. It changes all the time, but it, what never changes is you're, is you're looking to collaborate 
with very talented and creative people. And I think that's what you're always looking to do is collaborate. If you're the lead director or the director sort of setting up the show or the director's doing all episodes, then it is possibly have more authority because you're uh, involved with the casting. You're, it's your vision for the piece that you're setting up. So the feel of the world, the landscape, how you're going to shoot it, the, 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 the colors, the, the, the costumes, everything. You're creating the world and it's your vision for this physical world. So that you have more, uh, you probably have more authority there. Um, in the States, for instance, their model is because they are mostly shooting series, a, a director is in and out very quickly. You're very, you have very little prep time, you shoot, you have a few days in the edit just to shape it, but then you're out of there and the showrunner and editors take, uh, take over and they will really do the majority of the editing. So you're, you're performing a slightly different role there. Now, there are some series that may want may want directors to come in and make each episode uh, stand out and be different from the next. So, for instance, some uh, Doctor Who, for instance, they're quite keen, often quite keen when I've done it, to, to um, for each episode to be a standalone story and to have a sort of visual distinctiveness of its own. Uh, other shows want a sort of homogeneity and they want each episode to feel very similar in tone and language to what has gone before. So... You've got to sort of uh, have those discussions with the production, etc., and be clear about what the job is in that respect. It's not a precise thing. It's it's a constantly your your the hierarchy and your and your role and your power is constantly changing. And the, the TV landscape, as we all know, has changed a lot in the last ten or fifteen years. You're tending to find commissioners, stroke ex executive producers, have a lot more uh, are a lot more involved than perhaps they used to be i think i think it used to be the production company got a commission they went away and made it and then they delivered it when that was it whereas whereas nowadays the, the exact producer the commissioners are much more directly involved in the, these shows particularly if you're setting up a series for instance you're, you're because you're creating a brand when they really want to get that kind of brand right that, that can be a sort of journey of discovery you might not know it's very hard to tie it down at the beginning so it's a process of searching for it. So that involves a lot of parties and, and, and certainly they would be quite involved then. I've seen two of the four and I think where, where the lines sort of blur for the viewer is how much is, is what's already on the page and how much do you bring? So, for example, in this, it's, sort of a, it's a story where everybody's got the secrets and you're sort of suspecting of everybody and how much of that is you telling the actors to approach something a certain way and how much of that is already on the page and you're just bringing that to life it's it's very hard to tease apart what a, what a, what the director does but it, it's probably a lot more than you would imagine so for instance uh, locations one of the things i have to do is go well what is the world that i want to create for this what's the feeling i want to create you know it starts off by by um searching about you know for certain locations trying to find a distinctive feel for the world you want to set up because you're creating a, an entirely fictitious world mm. um, but one of the things for instance in the script was uh phil's flat was a, a place that he lived it was a flat above a shop and so one of the first things i did was go actually i you know i i like the fact that that sort of feels temporary that that, that his, his 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 brother's life is 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 quite um, you know, uncertain, and he stopped working in order to support, you know, his brother in jail and trying to campaign. So it feels quite temporary, because you're a character coming out of jail, 
and and you know Lee's coming out of jail and he's going to be living here. I wanted it to feel more. A, I thought it would be very difficult to shoot in the flat, and I don't think it would be very kind of feel very dramatic. And also, I really liked the sense of this ocean and this horizon. I wanted a sense in which Lee's character was uh, Colin was was still in prison, even though he's let out, he's still in prison. So I wanted to feel like because no one believes him and everybody still thinks he kid uh, he killed his wife, that he's still sort of in prison. So I wanted this room that he's in where he looks out the window and he sees... He's got that gorgeous picture window, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, that's he's right. Framing that, the ocean. So, so there's a sense in which that stillness of the horizon and that calm is almost like a place that he's trying to reach, but, but, but he's still trapped inside this box. And, and that sort of creates a very different sort of language and feel for for his world and sort of, the, you know, the grammar of the story in a way. Um, so you, you're sort of trying to set up these sort of visual themes and these visual ideas that kind of underscore emotionally what's going on in the story. So you're trying to kind of choose locations that support kind of emotionally what's going on. There are a whole number of choices that are being made that create the feel of the piece. One of the first things you talked about location was we picked up on Tom's house being this sort of grand design esque um, yeah. house that's quite cold and uninviting, really ultra modern, and but but also quite spooky when he walks in there at night, not very well lit. How did you find somewhere like that, and what was the the what did that bring to his character and his? Well, I think you've already got it. I mean, you know, I wanted a sense in which there was a wealth there, but there was a coldness to him. uh, And I wanted it to sort of be a counterpoint to the sort of warmth of of the the Moffat's house. So you've got the Moffat's house that's warm and cosy. and It's it's got a scale to it, but it's quite, um, it's not posh. It's so got want, a lot of wallpaper and a lot of sort of that's right. family got, touches. Uh, we did a lot more work, for instance, on Phil's place. So I wanted Phil's place to feel quite temporary and almost like it could be washed away because it works for both the brothers and a sense of sort of looking out over this horizon that they, that they you know, and a sense of peace that they can't reach. I wanted Tom's place to feel, you know, wealthy but quite cold you start setting up these sort of different feelings and then you you know you brief your locations person and they start trawling through and bringing you sometimes you know 20 30 different options all of which you have to go through until you get the sort of right balance between them and you and you're casting in the same way you're looking for your headline key characters first and foremost that are you know uh, you know I wanted for instance Hermione who I've worked with before I really liked I, I really like and Chris had worked with her before and I really wanted to bring out a kind of real warmth to her and, and do something that we hadn't really seen before and I've always I've, and I worked with both of them actually on a show called um, the Crimson Field and Lee yeah. I, I, Lee I really um, uh, really rate as well uh, right at the beginning I will set up a usually set up a whole load of images, probably 60 or 70 images that I'll put on my wall and I will share them with the production, with the design department, uh, also with costume. And so there's a colour palette that I've already created tonally that I'm, I'm, I'm looking for. So all the departments are sort of working around that. So there's sort of greens, blues, there are greys, etc. You're also kind of heavily involved in the script as well. When I came on board and we'd started the process, Episode one was in a good shape. It had a blistering start, I think, to the show. But one of the challenges was how do we sustain David's journey emotionally? Because you sort of hit him with this sort of fury and angry and anger at the start. As he gets sort of, I mean, you haven't seen it all, so I don't want to give it away. But 
as he starts to kind of get closer to his children and sort of get what he wants, how do you maintain the tension within him? You know, when he gets happier, it's harder to. Um, well, exactly. Yeah. You know, one of the big things for me when I came on and says, "Look, we've got a slight problem here," is that you know this is a character that's sort of getting happier. For me, the big challenge of the piece was how do you maintain the tension within him right to the end of the story? Do you want a drink or something to eat? Yeah, just a coke. Coke. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah I can. Please, I, I can't stay very long. Rosie's a bit scared. Okay. What's this? This. I don't blame her. You hardly know me. But I want that to change, Jack. And I want to tell you that I loved your mum very much, and I would never have hurt her. It sort of messes with you a bit because you feel almost quite an instant empathy with David Collins's situation. We had a lot of discussions about that. And then all of a sudden, you don't feel empathy. Then you feel empathy for Hermione's character, who has brought up these two children, but then you hear her refer to them as hers, and you think, oh, that's not quite right either. And so you're always shifting your opinions about them as well, which is a clever thing in both the script and your direction, yeah. I suppose. That's what we discussed quite a lot. One of the, one of the one things right from the beginning, when I first met uh, uh, for it, was what do you, as I said, what do you want the audience to feel about David? What do you want to feel about his innocence or his guilt? And how, how do we play with that? Uh, and we had a lot of discussions generally as we moved through and continue to do about how we wanted the audience to feel and how we wanted to mess with their prejudices or their assumptions or their empathies uh, etc uh, and we wanted to make sure that you were sort of constantly on uneven ground and never quite sure who to believe or who to trust what have you done what are you talking about all that bullshit about conducting the most thorough investigation of your career when actually you just twisted the evidence to fit your first theory david collins guilty what are you talking about? I'm talking about you failing to mention the fight between Alice and Tara, pressuring an elderly witness into hearing a woman scream, ignoring text messages sent by Alice to Tara the night she was killed. Read them, Will. I don't need to read them. You're smart, Kathy. You're way smarter than me, but you are naive. Every murder case I've ever worked on, and I've worked on a few, there are inconvenient bits of evidence that on first glance seem to challenge the real story. Convenient. No, let me finish. Oh my God. Now, in a decent world, in a fair world, these would get presented at court. They'd be examined, considered, and then dismissed as irrelevant. But we don't live in a decent world. And if I'd let these be used, the defense counsel would have had a field day with them, manipulating the court creating a completely unreasonable doubt in the minds of the jury. And then a guilty and very dangerous man would have walked free. One of the things I really liked about the story uh, was that people aren't black and white. They're not good or bad. We're all grey. We're all sort of both good and bad. All these characters um, uh, are, are both things, and we move. Uh, each character moves between our perception of them moves between one and the other. Uh, so we discussed. I discussed that with all of them about it. But you're right. When I'm actually shooting scenes, I will 
often adjust the performance for different takes. So uh, there might you might push a little bit more anger or a little bit more self-doubt or a little more vulnerability. And that way, uh, it gives you uh, it gives me a lot of freedom in the edit to uh, sort of subtly alter the kind of emotional feel of the scene and then juxtapose it with what's coming next. When you get into the edit, obviously the show starts to take place, but when you're filming, are you already thinking about the edit or are you in a director's mind on set and they're, they're two very different sort of parts of your job? Or are you always thinking about, I've got to do this because it'll make sense in the edit? Because you can't go back, can you? Once you've left that set and left the locations, that's pretty much it, isn't it? It is. You certainly can't go can't go back. I mean, there are shows now in the States, etc., that, that will reshoot things. But generally speaking, that's it. You're in and out. You are thinking about the edit all the time. We had a wonderful editor, Michael Harrows. Every lunchtime, I will speak to the editor. So the editor is looking at the material you shot the previous day and is doing what's called an assembly, is putting together a rough cut uh, of the scene. And they're constantly giving you feedback about the way you're shooting or performance or how they're reading it, etc. So you have a constant dialogue with your editor as you're filming. And you can, make, uh, you can often adjust how you're shooting things or, or nip things in the bud or, 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 or make small changes. As a director, you've got to keep going through the whole process of working on the script, shooting and then editing to really develop as a director. That process of cutting it together and seeing what works, what doesn't work feeds into informs how you go about shooting and then how you go about working with actors on your on your next project for you what's the most exciting part is it working with the actors or is it piecing the story together in that that final edit for weeks and weeks uh, i i love it all i mean i i love working with writers so i love reading the earlier drafts of scripts and getting excited about the themes and the ideas so that's very exciting the pre-production is really exciting starting to piece it together taking something that's we started our company, Girls Who Do Interiors, before we even graduated design school. And we turned to Chase for Business to build along with us. They had everything from banking to payment acceptance to credit cards all in one place. And with the Chase mobile app, our business is wherever we are. It's made for business owners who build to inspire. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Real customers compensated. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, and a member of FDIC. Deck your home with Blinds.com DIY or let us install Free design consultation Plus free samples and free shipping Blinds.com invented a better way to buy custom high-quality window treatments with no showroom mock-ups or waiting around for quotes from pushy salespeople, saving you time and money for the holidays with upfront pricing right on our website. Go right now to Blinds.com. Satisfaction guaranteed. Satisfaction guaranteed. Shop Blinds.com's Green Monday sale. Get up to 45% off plus doorbuster deals. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Just words on the page and starting to make it physical. with So with actors, with your design, with discussions about lighting and color and setting and location. 
these are just words on a piece of paper and you're creating a kind of living, breathing, three-dimensional world. And it's fantastic doing that. The process of shooting, certainly for me as a director, it's very, TV is very fast. You have to shoot very fast. And as a director, you're under a lot of pressure. There's a, there's a time pressure on everyone. What's most exciting is when you, you're working a scene and developing it with the cast and you're gently sort of shaping and nudging and encouraging and, and, and sometimes challenging. And you get moments when the cast just, the performance just captures a sort of emotional moment that the writer was aiming for, but then moves it on even further and gives you even more depth and resonance. So it sort of elevates it to another well, level that you it, could never... At the same time, the camera is moving beautifully just to capture it. And then a piece of, and a like, you know, and, and it's the... It's that kind of sort of poetic harmony of all the different disciplines coming together to kind of create these little moments that you'll, you can never capture again. That's a real joy. And, I, and there were a number of times on this when that I felt like we got it. There were a number of times when the performance and just the movement of the camera and the light just really came together. And we got moments where, you know, when you've got lovely beats, when you've got the sparks and the gaffer. Mm absolutely silent coming up and saying well done to the cast or you know or, or giving the kind of director wink you know you can feel it on set when everybody's hair go you know on the back of your neck goes up and everybody's everybody's connected to the sort of emotional temperature of the scene and in terms of the look of this it's we're set in on the south coast and you've you filmed in ireland and sometimes on the south coast I, I like just all the the little shots, sort of sweeping shots of the landscape and where they're running up hills and all that sort of thing. Um, how much of it, how much of looking for the right places and finding those shots that give authenticity to the piece do you spend on that before and during the shoot? I mean, as a director, you're in charge of every shot. You decide the lens, what lens you're going to use for every shot. So you've got to decide whether you want movement, whether you want to track, whether you want you want it to be handheld. So you've got to do a lot of prep beforehand because the production needs to know whether you want a crane on that location because you might have to close a road down or whatever. So you've got to beforehand have gone through the whole script and being able to tell the production where you want what equipment. And then there's a question of whether you can afford all that equipment. So there's a kind of haggling that goes on. So you decide on all the shots. For this, we were shooting an island, but it was set on the south coast of England. So one of the first things we need to figure out was how many days we could afford to shoot in England uh, on the south coast because it means putting the entire crew up in a hotel, which is very uh, expensive. So we, I needed to find, I needed to sort of create the language of the south coast and look for what was my sort of key world. And we found this wonderful uh, sort of village, really, on this estuary, which I really liked, the, uh, and mudflats. And that was my, I thought, well, actually, this feels, this, this is an interesting world. This feels uh, like a small, kind of quite uh, remote, uh, small town. Uh, and it felt quite strong and quite distinctive. And I used, I started with that so, and went, well, this is where our exterior shots is going to be. This is a sense of place. This is the town. And then I looked to, uh, when we were looking in Ireland, looking to try, look to try and find locations that sort of tied in with that. So we also found certain sort of mudflats and roads, etc., uh, outside Dublin that felt like they were part of the world on the south coast. And I wanted it to have a kind of haunting feel. I mean, in the story, everybody is haunted by this death that we, we, we never see. Uh, and I wanted sort of lyrical haunting quality. I wanted to find a way to capture that that was, that was doable within our, with our budget and the time limitations. And I... 
I liked these sweeping shots of of, of these uh, mud flats and this landscape. It just gave it gave the piece some air, and it gave it this this sort of haunting quality. One of the things I found myself saying about Innocent when people have been asking, you know, why do I think it's so so worth a watch? And I think I keep talking about the pace of it. Really, I keep talking about the speed right. in which it runs. How did you manage to keep that? pace up but still be able to tell all these character stories and not feel like it was running away with you because there is a pace there it is moving quite quickly throughout with everything going on how do you balance that what really attracted me right from the beginning was that i thought it had it it has an explosive opening within the first seven minutes you sort of rip two families apart. I mean, you, 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 you create this tension and you emotionally feel almost immediately for both parties. And that's very hard to do. It's very hard to create a, 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 a sort of emotional, emotionally powerful, explosive opening where, where, where you feel connected to, to, to the characters. So it comes out the gate, all guns blazing sort of thing. So it's managing that is is a challenge uh, i think it's the, the writers did uh, matt and chris did a fantastic job of balancing all the different elements um we have endless discussions about that with the, with, with jeremy the producer as the scripts are, are developing have we stayed away from a storyline for too long will it will the audience be able to hold on to it but i think a lot of it a lot of that credit does go to the writers in terms of how they've structured the storytelling uh, and, and how you do stay emotionally connected to all the different threads and all the different characters. W- what I can do is, is instinctively when I read a script, as a director, I know how the audience is going to feel when they watch that scene. I know where their emp- em- empathies are going to lie and with which character. So I guess my contribution to this sort of interwoven tapestry of s- emotional stories is encouraging performances and adjusting performances to give ourselves options in the edit so that I could cut a scene in a completely different way using different elements and different takes and it would change how the audience feels about say Lee or Hermione or about Dan or or Adrian sort of thing. The setup is the most important thing whenever you start working on shows you always keep coming out back to the beginning have we started the story in the right place and then have we got an ending? They're so important, but I imagine they're really incredibly difficult as well to keep some people happy. And there's going to be the amount of shows I watch where I go, I love that right up until the final moments, or you hear yeah. people moaning about the ending. So ending, how do you approach an ending? Ending is very, very tricky to do. I'm always looking to set the audience up very simplistically between, you know, between two choices: is it A or B? And then surprise, so, so they think it's got to be one or the other, and then see if we can arrive at a third option that they haven't thought about. But when they arrive at it, makes the only it makes emotional sense and is most mm. satisfying in a way that it makes sense of the rest of the story. And they couldn't have imagined really anything else. Without giving anything away, do you feel like the audience will come away with a feeling of yeah, that, I I understand that and I'll remember that and. This was in the DNA from the beginning. I just didn't spot it. I'm quite pleased with the ending. I think it has a, a, a because there are two stories actually here. As, as you say, this is a this is a domestic drama, almost a domestic thriller. It's also a whodunit. For me, the, the what the story has to do is actually resolve both of those. In a way, there are two stories that need to end. There's uh, a, 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 and it's how they weave together. 
there's an ending as to who killed Tara, so the police procedural, and there's also an ending, a resolution, to, there needs to be a resolution between David's character and Alison's character. Have we created an ending that, that resonantly resolves those uh, things that it's set up? This was made with an awful lot of love and hard work and commitment by, by, by cast and crew. And I hope it lands for people. I, I really do, because it won't be for want of trying. That's for sure. Um, you know, we, gave every, we all gave everything to this little one. I feel like I'm always talking to people like yourself in the industry about, oh, we're all supposed to be binging and we're all, you know, watching one after another. And it's interesting, actually, whether whatever's made this happen, that Innocent is going out stripped over four nights. Yeah. Which initially, I was thinking, well, it's one of the better ones I've seen. Why would they want to sort of rush it out over four nights? And then I was thinking, well, it keeps the momentum. It keeps you coming back every night how did you feel about that well i was, was i mean my, my main thing is i'm glad it went out because you know we were we were charged with finishing this in time for march last year and we raced mm. to finish it because the original broadcast date was march 2017 uh, it's been out in australia already it's been out in australia it's been out in new zealand it's been out in america on sundance now i think so mainly i'm i'm relieved that it's going out because it, it it has a big impact on as a director you don't really exist unless your work is transmitted. It looks uh, like you've not been doing anything since March 2017. Well, exactly. It, I, <laughs> as for the four-day thing, I actually, I think, it, I mean, you know, I think it's good because it's getting warmer now. And to be honest, none of us ever really like our dramas coming out in the spring, summer, particularly police, particularly darker dramas and stuff. We, they always, well, this is, as you say, always, this has got the grey palette and it sort of yeah. fits better in that sort of time. My hope is that, well, it, it ra- you know it, it rains really next week, and uh, <laughs> but I, I, I'm hoping that across four days, it will at least give it a little bit more presence. I think uh, more so now. TV's word of mouth, and so if somebody at work <laughs> said, "Oh, I saw that great new ITV drama last night," and then they go, "Well, I'll catch up on it," and they say, "Well, the next one's tomorrow night," that gives you the urgency yeah. to think, "Well, I'll just watch the first one, and then I can yeah. get back in for the instead of thinking, "Oh, I've got a week to." worry about that really and, and yeah stop. and the th- a lot can happen in a week i mean it's just for all of us there's so much content out there you can get sucked into a big show straight away that it's very hard to hold i think to hold people's attention for a week and what tv have you loved over the last few years we talked a lot to everybody about the change and how things have have gone you know high concept or bigger budgets or things but what have you really taken to your heart recently and thought that was brilliant i well i, I thought big little lies was fantastic it is brilliant that, uh, yeah they did that beautifully really well done um i loved mm. the the night of oh, uh was wow. was really really good um uh, i thought um yeah the sinner i enjoyed i've not um, seen that yet you know the sinner would, would you, is that something you'd recommend I think it's worth, yeah, I really think it's worth it. Ozark, I, I thought the writing was great with Ozark. I thought, for me, slightly that it, uh, there's a, there's a, in a very crowded marketplace, everybody wants a, a first episode that grabs everybody. And I sometimes feel we're in danger of sort of th- throwing everything into the first episode in a desperate bid to kind of hook your audience. And, mm. and it's almost quite difficult to sort of maintain that afterwards. Um, you've, you've almost set up so you've set up expectations so high, and it's almost quite it's quite hard to then deliver. 
Um, yes. and I, yeah. I, to, to some degree, I felt like Ozark was had such a, was beautifully written all the way through, actually, but was had so much going on in the first episode, it was quite hard to sustain. I thought Breaking Bad was astonishing. I mean, The Wire and Breaking Bad, those shows in terms of, they changed the TV landscape um, uh, massively. That the, the study of a character across five series, seeing incrementally how they how they how they change was was absolutely stunning. I mean, really beautiful. And I thought tonally Breaking Bad was very clever because you were you emotionally were very invested in the characters, their their relationships, and how they responded to situations was emotionally believable, and yet there was. Uh, also, a kind of heightened uh, absurdity to 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 the tone as well, and a humour to it. How does it hold up on the second watch? I keep wanting to watch it a second time and thinking I won't enjoy it as much as the first time because that was such an emotional roller coaster the first time. And you think, can it do the magic second time round? Do you feel like it's still held up for the second? Well, time I think it was. I think I think it still holds up. I think I was probably analysing it a bit more the second time. Uh, because I think the first time you see something, you're just swept away mm. uh, it, with, with, with what it is, and and you can never experience the first time again. But I think you you can have an a, the second time you visit something you've loved, you can start to have a kind of appreciation of how they've done it, of the, of the of the layers involved and the skills involved, whether it's the visual language or its performance or it's looking at incrementally how characters uh, uh, change. Or, or grow or develop across a period of time. So I think your subsequent viewings can come from a different place and you can have a mm. different appreciation. If you're still trying to get that first high, you'll never you'll never get your first, no. that first high sort of thing. They're definitely worth revisiting. Making shows that are worth reviewing, though, is really, really difficult. Making films that are worth rewatching because there's often in shows an element of, 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 of whodunit. There's a surprise. There's you know there's information held back, and you're you're hooking the audience into going who did this, and 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 once that's revealed at the end, uh, it's a real challenge to make a show that you still want to go back to and still mm. want to uh, invest in and, and, and experience the journey. Uh, Do you remember that Robert Carlyle episode of Cracker, the one way yes. yes. I've rewatched that four or yeah. five times. Yeah. It still absolutely gets me. But you're right, there's only a few things, I think, that you can go back to and be absolutely enthralled by again. Cracker and, and Prime oh. Suspect, all that all, all that Granada TV from Manchester it was... was amazing was, era. Yeah, it, it was an amazing era with, you know, great, really great character-driven drama. The character of our TV in different countries does vary, and it's interesting because I've been going out to the States quite a bit, and, and there's a tendency here where we look, you know, we, we look at the shows on Netflix and Amazon that are made out there and we go, crikey, there, you know, that, that there's a there's an exoticism about it. They have a showrunner model, so they have a different working model. They they really their writers room really interrogate the script. So they, they might come up with a quite high concept idea, but they will make sure they really dig into that uh, uh, and really create three dimensional, complex layered characters. Mm. We, I think our, a lot of our TV was born out of a at the social realism of the 60s, the sort of Ken Loach, Mike Lee, uh, play for dead day sort of thing. And I think we have a tendency to judge and, and criticise uh, TV according to that uh, that, that expectation. Yeah. I mean, Life on Mars, for instance, 
is quite a, a, a rare thing. We tend to do it a little bit. We're, we're more narratively inventive, actually, I think, in, in comedy. So Fleabag is fantastic. We, we tend to allow it in comedy. We seem to be more risk-averse in terms of being more playful with narrative or more exploratory with narrative uh, with, with traditional drama. It's interesting. When I go through over to the States, and they really like British drama, they're fascinated, for instance, by our soaps, by EastEnders and Corrie and Emmerdale. Well, have they... you ever seen their soap? They are such the opposite of EastEnders and Corrie. Yeah. They're sort and of they... melodramatic and they've got, they're on in the daytime. And there was one when I was living there called Passions that had um, somebody with a, an orangutan as a pet and she was a fortune teller. And, it, it, you know, they, they like just really fantasy and they don't feel anywhere close to ours so i imagine that ours seem high class drama in comparison america has uh, there's an aesthetic to 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 how you look and to actors everybody's got perfect there's a teeth gloss. there's a gloss there's, to everything. there's a there's a gloss and there's an aspiration that their characters will live in expansive and enormous houses and there is this sort of aspirational quality to their shows and their characters all have perfect teeth and will look beautiful and they're fascinated that we have actors uh, uh, that, uh, that we make shows and soaps that are about people that don't have a lot of money and are quite poor and there are actors with, with crooked teeth and uh, you know and, and they and, and they're, they're, they're they find that remarkable they're really intrigued yeah. by that and they really they very they really respect British actors because we have a real uh, venerance and love. British actors have a real venerance and love of the craft. They're hungry to be on stage and, and to do theatre, and they'll turn down big TV jobs because they want to be on stage because they love the craft. Americans are very respectful of that, and they see they seem to see a quality in the performance of our actors that sometimes we don't see in ourselves. And it's interesting, if you listen to how critics often kind of uh, criticise film or, or, or television, they'll be first to go, well, that's not real, that wouldn't happen. And it's funny, yeah. I'm, and I'm, 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 is I'm, it real? I'm always yeah. battling this idea, well, that's not real. And you're like, well, what do you mean by real? Because everything's a fiction, whether it's clocking off or Coronation Street or a documentary. It's all a fictional thing that we're creating. So what is it What is it you mean about when you say real? I think it in terms, if you're putting, say you're in a hospital drama and a, a, a patient or a doctor speaks to a patient really aggressively, you think that would never happen. Or there's a line of dialogue where you think, okay, you want, you've made this world really authentic feeling, but then someone will say something that doesn't feel of the world or that you could expect to happen that's what takes me out of a sh the show I think, really i think you're right but i think i think what you said is quite interesting of the world we have been i think slightly stuck by going well the world has to be what i absolutely recognize and i'm used to and we've allowed certain things to shoot off from that so there's a sort of you know in films there's a slightly east end kind of crime thing that's kind of is allowed to kind of exist there's a period thing we do as you say it has to be of the world as long as it is credible within the world or as long as it yes. feels authentic for the world you've created then yeah, exactly you can go along with anything then so whether it's humans or whether it's uh, the channel 4 show end of the fucking world i know, adored that and it's completely fantastic. bonkers i love that bit I think we should forget about real and hold on to authentic. Does this feel authentic? Because, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, writing, I've got a couple of TV shows and developing, I've got a feature I'm, you know, writing at the moment, you know, and I do quite a lot of research and stuff. And 
the world is much weirder and much stranger and people's behavior is much more shocking and odd than you could possibly imagine uh, and conceive of. So there's nothing wrong with the extraordinary or the absurd or the ridiculous as long as it's bound by the grammar and the rules of the world that you've created. There's a consistency to them and they feel authentic. So Innocent continues all this week, Monday to Thursday on ITV. Thank you so much to Richard for giving me the chance to speak to him. I found it a really insightful chat. It wasn't supposed to go out as a podcast, but we really sort of had an interesting chat that I wanted to share with you in audio form. So thanks for that. We'll be back soon with another podcast. Uh, And as I say, Innocent continues all week long at 9pm on ITV. Rate and review us wherever you find us. I think that it's programs like this that help people realise that they're not alone. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes and Facebook. Selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. Okay, then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop off and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today.